Hello, friends. I uh, welcome you to a very, very special episode of Space for Life. I have as my guest, Kristen Harris. Uh, she has just an amazing light about her and an amazing story to share, a hard story, uh, one that uh, unfortunately too many of us can identify with either in our own lives or with people that we uh, love. So I'll let her share her story and also the amazing things that have come from her story in terms of her endeavors at present. So that's all mysterious enough, but you'll soon get to know and love Kristen as I've known her for now uh, quite a while, but particularly reconnected just in the last uh, months or so. Yes. So so excited to have you, Kristen. Thank you, Tommy. So thank you for being here and just sharing your journey and your heart and your joy. So uh, I love it. And I'm just going to start off by, um, I guess, asking you to tell a little bit of your story and what what brings you to today. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the latter part of, you know, where you're spending your hours these days, but I'd love for you just to share your story. Happy to. Thank you. Okay. And first, I have to share. So Tommy and Wheezy are extremely special to me. We have a precious connection um, in that years ago, their daughter Perrin was one of my students. In my early years of teaching and being the director of student life at the collegiate school and then later assistant head of upper school there, but Perrin um, unexpectedly was diagnosed, you know, just a few years after I had the chance to teach her and, and get to know her. And then I was diagnosed with cancer myself just a few years after that. So Perrin and I were able to actually take chemo together and and sit side by side through this journey. And, and I became a lot closer to Tommy and Weezy through that. And it is just a, a truly precious connection to me. So I am just deeply honored to be here and get to share more. Well, Perrin absolutely adored you and Likewise. the memories and her presence with you and your sharing of those days uh, in the infusion room were uh, just highlights for her in her difficult journey. And uh, but but really beyond what you all shared in terms of the cancer she just loved you. She Likewise. just loved your she spirit. And, a kindred spirit. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. I carry her with me still. I tell Tommy and Weezy this. I, she is still such a part of my heart and such an inspiration for me in the work. And I feel like, um, and we'll get to this later, but even the work that I'm doing now, um, our precious parent is at the heart of it. Um, you know, I got to, you know, we got to share our journeys together and I carry her with me still. And um, I just can't wait to kind of share more about, you know, what parent and I got to learn together and how mm. sometimes the student becomes the teacher <laughs> and we change hats in this journey sometimes. And, yeah. um, and that's the beautiful part of, you know, sort of this, you know, evolving, you know, uh, work in progress that we all are. Right. Um, but you asked how it got started. Yes. It was, um, so I've done a few talks around breast cancer in the past and I've often started with this line, which is just resonates. And it's that pink ribbons have been a thread of my story since I was four years old. And it kind of helps mm -hmm. to <laughs> 
metaphorically tie a lot of these pieces wow. together, but it's actually true. I shared with Tommy and Wheezy that my one of my earliest memories in life was going to visit my mom in the hospital after her double mastectomy. She had um, breast cancer, stage three breast cancer in 1983 um, to 84 when I was around three to four years old. And um, one of my early, early memories, which I think is probably trauma imprinted, um, was going to visit her. I was truly, I, I knew something was wrong because, you know, as, as little ones often are, very intuitive, looking for cues from the adults. And um, I didn't understand it, you know, obviously at the time, but knew enough to be really, really upset. So I was literally inconsolable one night after her surgery. And my grandfather had to drive me to the hospital in the middle of the night to go see her. And I remember to this day, even at that young age, how she, you know, put on her robe that she normally wore at home. So she looked completely normal and had stuffed, you know, all of her drains and everything underneath. And we played a game on her bed. And oh. it, she made it as normal as possible for me, um, but it's still a memory that I carry. And I uh, remember not long after that when she was a spokesperson for the American Cancer Society early on, um, kind of, you know, traveling along behind her and watching how she had this gift for putting a smile on others' faces for, you know, again, these these really these memories in the, in, in, in the recesses. Um, of her, you know, taking the time to really connect with people, to share their stories and give them hope and support. And even at that young age, I remember sort of this burgeoning seed in my heart of wanting to do that one day too, to sort of, you know, oh take up that mantle wow. and, mm. and help others like I saw her modeling for me at that very young age. Um, and I don't have children of my own, but I share that just as an anecdote for all of you guys out there who do have little ones. Um, for just, I'm, as I'm sure everyone knows, but just how much we remember of certain, you know, experiences, it, it kind of amazes me to this day. But that was an early part of my story. Fast forward to when my mom was, um, my mom was 53 and I was 24 and she was diagnosed with stage four terminal breast cancer at that point. I was in grad school and I took a sabbatical, moved home to be her primary caregiver. And note, I was in education, so I knew absolutely nothing about medical care. So I was very much a lay person <laughs> and trying to just coordinate, you know, who are these nurses? And then as we went to hospice care and those folks are just saints, um, you know, coming in to help us coordinate this. But I was kind of the point person at home because my my dad and even my younger brother at that point were both, you know, working and um, and I just wanted that time with my mom. And I was, I feel so, so blessed to have had it. I had about 15 months with her to really, um, before she passed, um, to talk about really big and important things. You know, wow. I mean, mm -hmm. she was a person of deep faith. And um, I was blessed to grow up in a family of great faith. And um, it, I, I think it probably drew my parents more, you know, you know close, closer together um, in their early years when she was diagnosed the first time at age 33 and, and they were quite young facing that. And then the second time in their early 50s at that point, um, and, and she was terminal, but as a family, you know, we really leaned into our faith and that was a huge piece of, of our, um, 
solace, you know, in our grief, but also a source of sustenance in the trials. Sure. Um, That must have been so difficult, early 20s to... It was. ...to be put in that kind of role. I felt so... It's, you know, we we look back on it now with sort of some comedy, Um, you know... I didn't really know how to cook, you know, and here I was trying to coordinate things and, you know, I evaporated a can of soup and, you know, blew up something in the microwave. I mean, there were all these anecdotes of me just trying to do the logistics. And then there were the powerful moments of, um, we called it magic toast. Mom would wake up with really terrible side effects in the morning. So um, I would try to set my alarm for just before when I, about the time I knew she would wake up. So I could be in there with just a piece of toast that would kind of help oh. take some of the edge off the side effects. And, uh, but we called it magic toast. And there, but, you know, it's in those moments where, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very day to day. It's pain management. It's, oh. um, it's getting through, but it's also savoring that time to have really powerful conversations um, and not to be trite, but it's along the lines of what's the meaning of life? You know, yeah. <laughs> what is mm-hmm. what is our purpose and um, mm-hmm. what is God's will for our lives? And how do we know that? How do we seek some of these answers? Um, how does that change over time? And um, mm-hmm. how do we um, face what, you know, at that point, I remember being in sixth grade because my mom's original diagnosis was so young. I carried this fear for a long time of my mom dying. And uh, I mean, you know, all throughout my childhood. So here, my literally my greatest fear, the one I had written, you know, sixth grade essays about, you know, when you get this very simple prompt and I'm the one who goes to this really dark space oh. <laughs> as a sixth grader. Yeah. I'm really scared of this. And um, and then it was happening. And um, and I, I share that in part because it kind of has become a recurrent theme. You know, it's funny how sometimes our greatest fears become the place where, you know, God does his most beautiful work, you know, in our hearts and in our lives. Because yeah. um, I've, I've faced it a few times now. Um, right. But that was probably the first. And uh, in fact, I remember um, having a, a dream one night when it was very, very close to the end for my mom. She passed within probably two weeks after this dream happened. And again, we would have these really important conversations. You know, I was in my 20s, so I was at that point, you know, what do I want to do with my job? What do I want to do with my life? I knew then I really wanted it to be meaningful. You know, I wanted to um, truly understand what were the gifts that God had given me and how could he help me use those mm-hmm. to make a difference in the world and and help others? You know, how could I parlay this season of grief and growth into something transformational, you know, later on for others. Um, but I had this dream one night and I dreamt that um, my, I, I was I was single at the time, you know, I, I wasn't married. Um, and I had this dream that my dad and my mom passed, my dad remarried, my brother got married and I was the last one left. And I was so terrified. And I, I started bawling, you know, I woke up. That was just super duper scary to me if that, you know, actually played out that way. And um, I went in to wake my mom up. This was right before Magic Toast. She took one look at me and she goes, what's, you know, what's wrong? What happened? And I said, I had a dream. And she said, why don't you tell me about it? And so I hesitated and did. And then I knew her so well. I watched her praying. You know, I knew I could just see from the look in her eyes. Oh, she's praying right now. What does God want me to say? (laughs) 
God oh. give me the words. <laughs> what is this about? And sure enough, she looked at me and she said, I can't promise that that won't happen. I don't know. We don't know. Um, but I know if it does, that God will give you the strength of faith and his strength to do it, to get through that, to, to, to find your own strength and, and, and know that you, you can make it. Um, and I just remember that moment. It was a part of my heart, I think, that thought, oh, this is going to happen. <laughs> oh. I feel like this oh. is one of those poignant moments. But it was a learning point where I thought, yeah. you know, even, even in that moment, my mom was teaching me, no matter what happens, even if it's your greatest fear of isolation, loss of family, loss of loved ones, whatever it is that you're holding on to or afraid of losing, God will be there to sustain us, to bring others into our lives, to give us a new chosen family, others to sort of fill that role as he has and um, and sustain us even through those hard moments. So that was... Well, your mom sounds absolutely amazing. She was, actually. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, you, I just... wish you and, you and Weezy remind me a lot oh. of, of my family, which is what which we've shared before. And she really, really was. Um, mm. And most of all, what I didn't realize, you know, in those moments that I know now, um, is that in addition to being the role model that she was just in life, she was also teaching me and modeling how to live and fight cancer with grace and uh, faith and love and grace and um, strength, courage, you know, all of these, you know, not at all trite, but big not words, at all trite. Yeah. <laughs> big words and big concepts. But they are words that absolutely exemplify how you oh, are walking thank this, you. this journey because I've I've seen it. I've witnessed it, and it's it's beyond comprehension. Uh, I think for so many people to imagine the things, and you know, we haven't even touched on it to speak of, but the things that that you've been through and endured and continue to, with the grace and the courage that you do. So. I had incredible parents. We, most of all, we have a wonderful God. You know, we we have the greatest strength we could ever need, yeah. imagine, or want already. You know, right there um, with His Holy Spirit living inside us. You know, and there's that, and I truly yeah. just lean into and believe in that. Um, but I also had uh, the tremendous blessing of wonderful parents, you mm. know, and a wonderful foundation growing yeah. up, which um, I know that not everyone has. I don't think of myself as particularly extraordinary. In fact, I sort of think of myself as incredibly average in a lot of things. <laughs> like just sort of, you know, I like top 40 music and kind of what everybody else does. Yeah. You know? I'm like pretty normal as, yeah. as far as that goes. Um, but I sort Karen of, would have said the same thing about herself. She would, right? Yeah. I know. Mm. And she's my little kindred spirit for real. Parent and I just are very, very similarly yes. wired. We always have been. And I just, I, um, but for whatever reason, God called both parent and me to these sort of extraordinary circumstances yep. and this op these opportunities to find joy um, in, in, in Christ through even the darkest of times. And, um, so I, you know, I will share. So, you know, the next step in my journey was my mom passed away in 2005 um, when I was 25. And then just an incredibly short time later, 
um, the day after my 32nd birthday. And I was telling Tommy and Weezy, it could have been the day before. There were two doctor's appointments open, one the day before my birthday and one after. So I could have been 31. I chose the day after, so I was 32 the day I was diagnosed. But I was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. And um, it's for those in the breast cancer world, it's triple positive. So at age um, 32, it's very fast growing. Um, so it was very advanced when it, when it was diagnosed, even though I had already been getting screenings for it because of my mom's history. Um, that was the part I didn't expect. I knew I was high risk. I'm the fourth generation in my family. We have a mutation called CHECK2 which, um, believe it or not, when they were first testing for BRCA and some of those others, I tested negative because they didn't know about it yet. It's only been during subsequent testing that my mutation has been discovered. So again, anyone out there who has a strong family history and you perhaps were tested before, um, there's new testing now and as much as... Um, as many as 25 different genetic mutations and counting um, that have a high risk factor for breast cancer. So talk to your genetic counselor, maybe get retested again if there's something helpful, just a quick health plug. Yeah. Um, but I am fourth generation in my family and um, I, again, was unmarried at the time and um, it, it it happened much faster than I was expecting. I mean, it was just over six years after my mom passed away, which in the grand scheme of life just doesn't feel that long. No, it really, it <laughs> really I, isn't. It's yeah. really not. And I was so young myself, and I couldn't believe the big C word was coming back again. Had it not reared its ugly head enough, you know, I just thought, oh, man, it was just getting comfortable in my skin. And as you mentioned uh. earlier, because my mom was sick during my early 20s, I had a really, and I share this for others who might be experiencing this, I had a really hard time assimilating with my peer group at that point. I felt like I had one, and the same even when I was diagnosed with cancer, really the same for a long time. And it's often um, like having one foot in each world, sort of one and the day-to-day, the -day, you know, normal things, you know, like classes, school, work, um, even just, you know, I went out to a concert one night, not long after with my brother. My brother and I went to this just, you know, outdoor concert and neither one of us could get into it. You know, we we're just standing there because our headspace was just so different. You know, we were just in such a heavy space that we're just like, you know, we're looking around and just feeling so different in that moment. And I, <laughs> that same image comes to mind a lot of times, you know, when I'm going through the day-to-day -day of having sort of one foot in this normal day-to-day -day space and another foot in this sort of existential, you know, spiritual headspace, you know, where you're thinking about, you know, again, not to be trite, but what's the meaning of life? <laughs> right, yeah. These bigger, these bigger yeah. existential concepts yeah. and, um, and how those sort of interrelate and how do you weave them in your own it's life? It's so true. I just remember, you know, in, in parents, uh, twenties, uh, there was a, uh, a depth and a, um, substance yes. that, life had imposed on her yes. that was so different from most all of her peers as as much as they would attempt to wanted to to want to to be there that you you just can't manufacture the depth that your kind of experiences hers create for a young person. It's so true. And it's so, it's such a wrestle in, internally of like how, how to sort of make peace with all of it at the same time. 
the flip side is, and what I've often thought to myself is, I wish I could bottle and give away what it has taught me because the lessons from this experience are beautiful and profound and common to the human condition. Yes. And if only I could give them away to others without them having to go through the suffering to get it. <laughs> you yes. know, it's sort of that do as I say, not as I do, or as as your parents <laughs> always say when you're growing up, yeah. you know, just just don't, you, I wish you didn't, I wish I could spare you, you know, the yeah. trials of having to learn this lesson, yes. you know, on your own. And I have many ways that I know Perrin would too. And just as a quick aside for those listening, Perrin was a deeply, deeply beautiful soul. And, you know, when I'm talking about this era that, you know, I'm describing right now after I was diagnosed and um, first, one of the first people I thought of after my diagnosis was Perrin, because when you're young, there aren't a lot of others typically in your circle with cancer and especially not with stage three or stage four, um, these advanced cancers. um, And it's just incredibly isolating and lonely and difficult to wrestle with and filled with moments of fear and moments of peace and grace and beauty. And, um, you know, you, it's so crystallizing in the sense that you, you know, I remember the day I was diagnosed kind of walking outside for just some fresh air outside of the space and, you know, the office that I was diagnosed in. And there was a man-made little pond there, Um, you know, but I was just looking at the water and the trees and felt so anchored in that moment. And everything seemed so crystal clear, you know, and sort of my priorities and what mattered and what didn't, you know, whatever was on my to-do list or my calendar or Oh my gosh, you know, whatever. The things that didn't matter. Didn't matter. We're just like quickly, Mm -hmm. you know, falling to the side. I mean, I just didn't care. And yet my family and loved ones and purpose and those things were just coming into such clear focus. And I don't know, for whatever reason, my memory seems to work in sort of like snapshots and photos, maybe everyone's. Again, I'm very average, I feel like, so maybe everyone's does, but <laughs> speak for myself. Yeah. Um, mine does. And so I've held on to that moment in my mind and heart ever since, and even sometimes challenged myself to go back there. You know, when I felt like life was getting too busy, too much, too unfocused, too chaotic, you know, whatever, even since then. And I thought, let me just go back to that moment, that place, yeah. you know, where it was so clear. Right isn't, isn't it crazy with the experiences that that you're describing and, and that that I remember being on the, the parent side of things, how even in the midst of that, we can lose perspective and get immersed in meaningless worries and meaningless yes. concerns and we we know better we but do. it still happens we're human yeah. and i think it's a byproduct of our culture in many ways i mean you're supposed to have a plan and right. <laughs> and yeah. cancer is a space that doesn't have a plan Right. <laughs> it can yeah. upset that plan. <laughs> yes. Definitely. So, you know, I think there but, you know, our 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 culture, our society, you know, it's um and sometimes it's even hard to explain. Like I also realize that people on the outside still had plans for me too. And I'm like, um, if you could have a you know, a camera on my shoulder this way, <laughs> you'd be like, that plan just went out the window. Uh-huh. I'm just it's gonna be a win if I show up today. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, there yeah. are days. I mean, I've talked to you guys. You know, I yeah. mean, there are days when it is just it's hard. That said, we do lose that focus. I all that, all that said, you, Wheezy, my dad, my brother, you guys are my heroes in this life. I mean, you are. The role of the caregiver of the loved one staring, and I've been a caregiver, I've been a yeah. loved one. Powerlessness that you feel in this process to stop it, to change it as a dad who wants to protect and defend, and that's your God-given role. I mean, I've watched my dad, my dad lose my mom to this, his beloved wife of almost 30 years at the time, and, and then watching his daughter have cancer also, the same awful cancer. Um, it takes so much courage and so much grit and persistence and ultimately faith, faith, and to do all that you guys have done and to lose our beautiful parent. Tommy, I, I still don't have the words for it, mm. for the, the compassion and empathy and grief I share with you. It is, it makes you guys our heroes. Because yeah. sometimes the greatest thing, you know, you and I were talking earlier, sometimes the greatest thing that the cancer patient needs, or really anybody in a space of, of suffering, you know, a, a dark season, um, is for someone just to be there. Yes. Just be there. And that is not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> I have come to learn, you yes. know, it's not always easy. It's easier to look away, to go in, in our, again, in our culture, in our society, it's easier to go do something more fun because this space is heavy and yeah. it is, it is long. You know, it yeah. is that it's, it's, <laughs> you know, I love that. Um, again, I don't have children, but there's a phrase I've heard many of my mom friends use about how the, um, the days are long, but the years are short with yes. children and child, child rearing. Um, in many ways, that is um, the same with cancer. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I know it's a totally different application, yeah. but the days can be really long, even the minutes, the hours, and painful, truly painful, and oftentimes more so for the folks watching that are powerless to change change any outcomes or take away the pain yeah. or the suffering or the cancer. Mm. And it's um, that years are short, and yeah. that's where I just, you guys are my heroes. Thank you. This is amazing. So continue. I mean, an unbelievable diagnosis at age 32. Yes. After watching what your mom went through and generations before her. Yes. yes. Uh, what's next? Another turn I didn't see coming. You know, even when, you know, again, I, I, I had completed treatment. I had... Um, it's called neoadjuvant chemo. So I had chemo before my surgery um, for what the, the cancer that the biopsy, initial biopsy had revealed. Then I went into surgery, I had a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. But in the surgery, the pathology results showed yet another characteristic of my tumor that was undetected before. So I had to restart chemo and a second time. So it was a long, it ended up being about 19 months of chemo plus surgery, six weeks of radiation. But my wonderful oncologist, Dr. Trent, who was just tremendous for me, um, did everything. I mean, we threw everything at it but the kitchen sink, and he was absolutely wonderful. Um, but in spite of all that, it came back. And I was um, 36 
oddly enough, feeling great. Um, had gone in for routine scans, truly didn't expect it. And that's what's so bizarre about some of these cancer U-turns. And I went in and uh, we discovered I had metastasis to my sternum. It had spread to my bones. And um, it it took the wind out of my sails. You know, I felt like I was just getting my bearings again. Yeah. Um, had, you know, it's working full time at work, had, you know, sort of ramped up my, you know, my hours again, you know, back, you know, I was assistant head of upper school at that point and had my students. And um, I was in a relationship that I thought um, was going to, I, I thought I was about to get married. And I, um, it was in love and excited and just kind of thought I had turned the corner and was, you know, at a good point in life. And then it felt as if the rug had just been pulled out from under me again. And I remember standing outside the, uh, the doctor's office with the pathology report in, or the, the scan report in my hand and calling my dad and telling him, um, and I'll never forget what he said. I don't even think I've told him. But he, the first thing he said was, I'm so sorry, sweetie. It wasn't like uh, this breaks my heart. It was, it was not about him. In yeah. that moment, even he just said, I'm so sorry this is happening again. And it just, um, I rem- that's when I cried. I remember yeah, just kind sure. of melting in the parking lot. But and a little data point here. A lot of tears happen in the parking lot of the hospital and the oncologist's office. And that's something I've noticed a lot. Um, across this journey, a lot of tears happened in the parking lot. Um, so I, I had to restart the journey again. You know, I went in, I had to, at that point, um, and you know, I've, again, this is, I try to educate in my role now professionally too. So this is a bit of education. Um, I had to have my ovaries removed because I have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. It's fueled by estrogen. So we had to shut off the fuel source and I, um, but I had long harbored this dream of getting married and having children and um, probably my greatest life dream, you know, that was just something I deeply wanted and it hadn't happened. I was 36. I thought I was really close and, um, it just felt like everything had been derailed. I mean, I, I was trying to push through and do all, all the steps that needed to be done to kind of, again, sort of mount our best fight, you know, against this. So we did, you know, and I started on chemo again and I'm, I've been in treatment ever since, um, once, you know, for those out there listening, once you're diagnosed stage four, as Perrin was, and, right. and I have been, then, um, you know, with metastatic disease, you'll be in treatment for the rest of your life. And not to go through several lines of treatment as Perrin did. And, um, and I have been through a couple now. Um, but I am so grateful because that was 2016. And here I am, 2023, and still, um, on this second line of treatment right now and um so deeply grateful and yet i have shared this with you guys and we were we're super open <laughs> in our cancer yes. journeys i carry the survivor guilt too you know i, I think about i've yeah. lost a lot of friends along the way of yeah. my little our parent um and several others that i've met through my metastatic support group and just in the work that i do and you know there's I think one of the difficult parts of being in this cancer journey too is sort of the unpredictable nature of it. You know, the fact that 
And again, sort of an educational moment, the success of our treatments often relies on the fit that it is for our unique kind of tumor. And there's something called oncotyping, which allows them to, you know, identify the characteristics of the tumor and then find of our available treatments, you know, the best fit for that. And Every tumor is different. Um, in the metastatic world, um, there was a, a wonderful woman who who passed from metastatic breast cancer. She was a professor, I believe, at UNC Chapel Hill, um, an oncologist. And when she passed, she actually um, dedicated her body to research so they could do uh, an autopsy of, of the metastases. And they discovered that every single one had a different oncotype. So part of the challenge in getting ahead of this is you know, or even curing it is how it mutates so differently, even sure, in the one vessel. The world is still learning so much. Very you know. much. And what it presents as for the patient is this confusion, you know, and this unpredictable journey of exactly. when will the medicines run out, which ones will work, and, and sort so of. So the very, very best case scenario is quarterly. Yeah. You're going to go in and you're going to have scans and yes. regardless of how you feel, whether you feel badly at the moment or well at the moment, you know that they represent total uncertainty. Total. And and that's that's where this point of surrender always is every time. Yeah. Patients call it scan anxiety because it is. I mean, I've never yeah. I've never met a scan I wasn't anxious. <laughs> So to this day, I mean, I just shared it with Tommy. I had one yesterday and thankfully good results, stable results. So, um, but I've never met a scan that didn't make me nervous. So I, you know, it's, it's part of the journey, but there's also, uh, you know, again, it, it forces me to grapple with these concepts of why me and not others or vice versa. And, you know, why not me? And, and uh, you right. know, there, the truth is, the longer I get to live, the more I realize how much I don't know or right. don't have answers to. And I don't know what, that we will on this side of heaven right. to some of this. But as long as I'm on this side of heaven, I just keep praying that God will guide me and use me and inspire my thoughts. And but I've, I've been with you some, not not a ton. You genuinely do not seem to be resentful. I'm not. I don't know why. Um, other than there is, let me actually let me retract that. Let me back that okay. up. I think it depends on which season, and that's why okay. I don't want yes. to no, undermine that's, that's where others are right, right. now. No, um, and my personality um, is such that I, you know, I kind of joke that God gave me a little extra optimism. No, <laughs> A little so extra. I came to the world this way, Tommy, because he knew yeah. what was going to happen, yeah. um, like my sweet parent did too. And you know, so we did, some of it is a little bit, you know, nature. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to speak to those who are in their darker moments right now by sharing that it's it sometimes comes in seasons. Yes. And all of us, you know, go through that winter. And yeah. it, oh, thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, it's true. You know, yeah. so right it now waves. I'm in springtime yeah. and summer, right? And yeah. I'm in a different place. Yeah. Um, but I've been through that winter. And I, um, so I shared with you and Weezy yes. in the past. So um, I, at the time when I was diagnosed metastatic, genuinely thought I was going to get married. And ultimately it didn't work out. And um, I um, 
he decided to leave and um I was devastated. I'll be honest, I was utterly and completely devastated. And that I found myself, you know, you ask about the resentment, I found myself envying others who who did have someone. I even in my own way, I found myself envying my mother, who I had lost to it and watched, but I I did in my deepest, darkest places of my soul. I envied a bit. I envied, you know, I I I envied that she had you know, a husband that was helping with everything from the finances to, you know, because there's that piece of having to juggle it, just, you know, keeping the bills straight, you know, when my brain is already a little overwhelmed sure. um, to, you know, the the logistics or, you know, when she, when she was stage four, I moved home to take care of her. And there was a part of me that, again, I'm confessing in the quiet sure. places on my soul that asked, where's my Kristen? Yeah. You know, like, who? No. Boy, it's lonely when I'm the only one. <laughs> that, that's that's not from my perspective a, a dark place. That's a, that's a human. It was a deeply place human that's moment. hard to imagine not experiencing. I and so I I did have some resentment and envy in that space because I just I was so broken. If I can be honest, I was so broken, and I um and I didn't fully you know for the first time in my life I was so broken I didn't know how to get out. I just, you know, I, I knew to hold on to my faith that, you know, God could and would sustain me, but there are seasons that are so dark that it's hard to see that, you know, in, in certain moments, you know, even, even a person who had been a person of faith for a, a while at that point, um, or most of my life at that point, um, and had been tested and I thought yeah. enough, but here it was again. Well, I've, I've shared with, with many people from the parents' perspective that, you know, when I think of our journey, uh, I think about it with no sense of pride. I, I didn't thrive during that period. I survived. Yes. And survival was was good. Yes. It's sometimes showing up is all you can do. Yep. That's, it's a win. Yep. And I was in that place. In fact, I think I mentioned to you my, my darkest place, which you know, again, I, there are all these, you know, phrases, cliches or whatever. It's always darkest before the dawn or, um, you know, yeah. lots of them. But um, the darkest night for me was actually, um, I mentioned this to you and Weezy, I, I started crying. Um, I know a lot of people have said they, you know, well, just at nighttime can be especially hard and I cried really hard. I mean, the grief, the trauma of all of these losses and this encounter with cancer and, and what it had taken from me in so many ways was just, just all encompassing. And I cried so hard that particular night, I started throwing up. And um, I, because I was on chemo, you can get dehydrated really quickly. I got dehydrated and then I passed out on the bathroom floor. And there I was alone. I woke up on the bathroom floor. My phone was nowhere nearby. I was convinced if I yelled at the top of the lungs, at the top of my lungs, no one would hear me. And I just, as we all do, started, or, or as many of us do, just started praying in that moment. You know, it's, Lord, if you just get me out of this. <laughs> um, and I just remember lying there and just praying that, that he would give me strength and hope. It was the closest to hopeless I had ever experienced in my entire life of not being able to see a way out, not being, not feeling as if I would ever achieve or experience my, 
most cherished dreams and feeling so completely alone and unworthy in that moment and just, oh, just, just the height of brokenness. And it was in that moment that um, God gave me, planted a seed in my heart for what has now become my greatest passion project. And I thought, lying there on the floor, you know, I can't be the only one crying on the bathroom floor right now. We just can't see each other. Oh. You know? I can't I can't yeah. be the only one out there suffering so much, feeling so isolated, so lonely, so low, that I'm, you know, passed out or crying on the bathroom floor, but we can't see each other from the bathroom floor. So there has to be a way to bring us together, to create, to as my therapist would say, I have an incredible therapist, but as she would say, to make our worlds bigger. To bring us together in the suffering, in this space, and make our worlds bigger. Because what I found is, um, and this is a huge plug for great counseling, <laughs> great yeah. counseling makes a huge difference in yeah. these dark days of depression and, and the mental health challenges, but also um, community, community and, and, um, and this you know, chosen family in this world is what carries us through in between these dark hours and our therapy sessions. It's the in-between. You know, and I thought if only we could create community in this space that really meets us here, this would be easier, easier, easier to get through for me right now. And um, so in that moment, Cancer Retreat Centers was born and that's my new passion project now. Well, it, it just as I've learned a little bit about cancer retreat centers, it's more than a passion. It's fast becoming a reality that yes. is going to influence so many people for good in those darkest on the floor of the bathroom moments. Yes. And, you know, Hope so. this, this seed that God is Landing. planting and growing. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. We've had a, I've joked that we have, and I'm not really joking, but it's, we've had a divine tailwind the whole time. I mean, you know, how you, in fact, in some of your previous podcasts, I've heard some of, um, some, some others talk about how, um, you don't even expect, you know, some of these things to come from these various moments. But looking back on it, you see the thread of how they're all woven together. And I certainly didn't expect Cancer Retreat Centers to be the byproduct of that incredibly lonely, dark night on the floor of the bathroom. But what I learned from it subsequently, I was diagnosed with PTSD later, and I knew that's part of what I was struggling with. And a lot of people think of that, you know, with regard to our veterans, which I think is very true. Um, but um, it, it actually happens in, you know, the, in, in the cancer world. We have um, medical trauma from the diagnosis of hearing the words, you know, or a loved one that you have cancer and facing a terminal illness and, and death in the face on a regular basis. Um, and I had lost so many loved ones at that point to it that I was really struggling with the PTSD element. So there's one element, but with that comes triggers. And for me, some of the triggers were clinical environments, medical environments, and just the anxiety that would overwhelm me when I was in that space. And so I started to think, what if there were a place, a beautiful place that's outside of this, these trigger environments that I actually wanted to go to? <laughs> <laughs> where there are people like me, 
other cancer survivors, patients, survivors, family members, caregivers, even healthcare providers who work in this space and bond with us on a regular you know, basis. What if there were a place with this community where we can also receive these direct services like counseling, support groups, um, oncology massage, acupuncture, nutritional counseling, recreational therapy, et cetera. All these things in that, that are outside of the clinical environment that help us heal. Where the focus is on is hopeful, focused on healing, and feels like home. Mm. And that is where Cancer Retreat Centers was built on, on that sort of cornerstone of hope, healing, and home. And now um, Cancer Retreat Centers is a 501c3 nonprofit that I founded two years ago um, with a vision to build a network, a diverse network of multiple diverse locations of these home-like venues where we provide um, the direct services that are psychosocial support programs, wellness programs, education, and all of this for patients, survivors, family members, caregivers, and healthcare providers in the oncology space. Uh, such a beautiful vision. I, I think back uh, through through our years and there, there is a sense of isolation yes. that comes with cancer, but there's also a sense of um, almost being an alien in yes. a different land where, you know, the rest of the world is going through life with completely different eyes, yes. completely different priorities, uh, and you're alone kind of out there and to me to have a sanctuary yes a refuge yes. a home as home. you say and one of our one of our last uh guest uh, Ruth McKinney wrote the book Hungry for Home yes. and and it's this vision of what not just a place is but what a home is and how hungry we all are and the particular needs of uh, of someone with cancer and those who are caring for them to have that special home. Yes. It's just such a beautiful vision. And I actually reconnected with you just relatively recently when I saw on Instagram cancer retreat centers and saw your connection. And I went, oh, this is amazing. You're so wonderful, Tommy. You and Weezy are such a special part of this. And I reached out to them and I said, I want to honor Perrin in a special way with this because she is at the heart of why this exists. You know, I thought of Perrin, of my mom, of families like ours, of others along my journey that mm -hmm. I've known um, in between my stage four diagnosis and starting cancer retreat centers. I was executive director of Susan G. Komen Central and Eastern Virginia. So I met a lot of breast cancer survivors along that journey. And I started noticing, you know, these commonalities between us. So it's more, so much more than just me or my yes. experience. And, but all of these beautiful stories that I've been able to encounter along this and the, you know, the commonality between it and that being, you know, our survivors would come to Race for the Cure and we had a survivor tent at every event. And they would say, this is amazing. I just wish it were every day. And I thought, 
what if? What if it could be every day? And I actually have a really exciting announcement that I'm able to share now um, because we just were able to sort of solidify this last week, but we have our first location, which oh. is actually a house. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. It's really cool, Tommy. It is. So that is... our first location will be at a space called Blanton House. Ah. It's currently um, owned by City of Richmond, Department of Parks and Recreation, and they have come on board with us as a strategic partner. It is across, it's a 1920s mansion. It's actually this big, grand, beautiful house with a side yard that will have outdoor spaces for us to gather and have just small little enclaves of Adirondack chairs and indoor. We're in, in, actually on the first floor, we'll have it in the indoor space. We'll have um, a living room and a dining room where we can have support groups and book clubs and break bread together and, um, you know, just have sort of some dinner, you know, supper clubs, that kind of thing. Ways mm. to connect and build community to share this journey in our own shared home. So we're really excited. We're going to be renovating that in the coming year to really make it for us. The it's cancer now patients far, far beyond a dream. It's beyond a dream, and it's kind of a pinch me moment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, it should what, be. What is happening? And oh. I just... Uh, to be honest, I'm along for the ride at this point. Like I feel like God planted the seed in my heart because I had this unique vantage point, much as Perrin did. You know, at this inordinately young age, you know, I, much as she had, you know, had had had, and you described these new eyes um, that saw the world a little differently. I had been, you know, the daughter of a survivor, someone who was high risk, um, a caregiver at a young age, and very much a layperson. Um, a young survivor when I was diagnosed the first time, and then a young stage four survivor when I was diagnosed the second time. Unfortunately, you carry all of the experiences a in one of, body. <laughs> oh, one little set of eyes. Oh. Um, and I'd worked in the space, yeah. which I actually love. And I think it's in many ways, you know, sort of a calling, you know, one of those, yeah. you know, talking about Oz and some of your previous, you know, guests, you know, who, who had these sort of signal points, you know, and I thought, you know, I, I love this work. Yeah. It's it for whatever reason God has given me a heart and eyes that see. Um and I just I love our community so much and I'm just really excited to see what God does in and through us because this is really the heart of cancer retreat, retreat centers is community building community. It's all of us. Um, you are cancer retreat centers. I am cancer retreat centers. We are all together, mm. the heart and soul of what we are building collectively, which is community and services and spaces. We've got amazing nature-based therapists who are joining us to do work and just outdoor fishing groups and golfing groups and tennis groups and walking groups and activities that just bring us together in the spirit of health and wellness and um, even a ministry program mm -hmm. that we're excited to launch um, that just brings us and treats treats us all mind, body, and soul. Well, this is an absolutely glorious announcement. And uh, gosh, I'm I just feel honored to 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 hear about this this way, and uh, I'm just so excited uh, that that you're getting to just see the the power of what God's done through the hardest moments, and and I I say that when when I use as I have at times uh, the phrase that God is redeeming the darkness. I don't yes. say it lightly no. because yeah, the darkness is incredibly dark yes. and hard, but yet 
God is doing something good in you and through you. Uh, so I, I'm in awe of it. Oh, I'm in awe of it too, Tommy. <laughs> I feel lucky. Yeah. I feel blessed, truly blessed to get to be here. And I, I don't say that lightly yeah. either, but to be here and to get to see this part of his work, you know, in my life and um and and to honor those before who've gone before us who are yes. you know in heaven um and honoring their memory and their imprint on our lives right. and I am truly I invite others to join us if you want to take part in our programs it's you can sign up you know to participate it's well we'll definitely put notes for perfect how anybody can. Can contact us. you, join in if anybody would like to, to donate in any way. It's 501c3. Yes. So we'll have all of those notes and connecting points. Um, and Because this is incredible. And, and praying, yeah. Pray for what's ahead. I will tell you, we have a divine tailwind, so much so that just recently, unbeknownst to me, um, so again, another of God's blessings, I truly didn't think that I, I, I was very much afraid I would be alone for the rest of my life. And I actually have a wonderful man who's in my life and who is probably my biggest champion and unbeknownst to me, uh, which is just proof that God can do anything, you guys, truly. Yes. I had stage four cancer and he's brave enough to walk this walk with me. And um, as was parents, husband, yes. wonderful husband, Joe. And I, um, unbeknownst to me a few weeks ago, um, he applied to a a renovation show on the Outdoor Channel um, for one of our satellite properties. So in, in addition to having day services, we're going to have overnight programs where we have properties that folks are, are letting us use. So our you know families and even those who've lost someone recently to cancer can have a three-day, two-night getaway free of charge. All of our programs and services are free of charge to our participants because of the financial burden of going through cancer. And um, he has a farm. His family has a beautiful farm in southwest virginia called blue spring farm that had an eight that has an 1850 a cabin from 1850 on it right on the river it's absolutely idyllic when you look at it but this renovation show chose us to renovate the cabin and it is phenomenal as our first overnight destination location Big things are happening. Oh, <laughs> big things. It's crazy. Yeah. And I truly never know what's coming next right now. And I'm just in awe of, of how God is making our world bigger and bringing new stories and new people. We were filming the show. And what was honestly magical about it was um, one of the, the guys um, that, um, on the team, um, the general contractor, was actually sharing with me. He was sort of an adjunct pastor on set because so many people were sharing their stories of faith and uh, so much of the cast and crew and they shared them with us their connection to cancer um some had very very close and had lost loved ones um very close to them and um it just changed the tenor of of, of the conversation and i watched them put 
heart and soul into this build. And I can't wait for you guys to see the reveal because it is, I mean, you, you see their heart and soul in this project oh. and just the love that comes through on a very human, human scale. And I am, I am, I am, I've never had so much fun watching this journey. My former students um, have come back, you know, again, my, my oldest of my former students are now in their mid thirties, by the way. So it's not like, <laughs> well, right. <laughs> they're adults, they're grownups. And, uh, but they've come back and created my young professional board, our young professional board at cancer retreat centers. And so I get to see all my, my babies who are, you know, are all grown up now, but fill that part of my heart that always wanted to be a mother. Um, with this in, enormous love for them. Well, you're benefiting from the community that you're seeking Huge. for all of the Hugely. people come behind you. It's incredible to yeah. watch what God is. It is community building community right now. And and I thank you for sharing your community and, and platform oh. here to invite others to join us. Yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> jump in and see the, the magic of, of yeah. what God can do. Yeah, well, this is amazing, and I, um, I think this is going to touch so many people because it's just it's it's hard to come across anybody these days who's not touched by cancer True. with someone they deeply care about very much. Um, so I, I'm just excited to see what will come of all of this. I so, am too. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. For so your I want to. Uh, Wanted, there's just a few questions that I, I I think would be so helpful for people to hear about um, because we we often those of us who do not have cancer do not know how to care for people that are going through a cancer journey and I'd love for you just to just for a few moments to share what what has been meaningful for you in terms of um, how people have cared for you and and even if if you think it's appropriate what has not been helpful for you I mean, both uh, not that we want to beat anybody up we all feel right. probably guilty enough in this space but you know what what's been meaningful for you as you've now walked this for a lot of years. A long time. It's a, really my whole life in some yes. capacity. But thank you for asking because I think these that's a hard question. It and is. it's a it's a struggle point for a lot of folks surrounding those that are, you know, walking this walk. Um number 1 and it's going to sound trite but it's really really not be there. Mm -hmm. Be there. Don't worry about being perfect just show up. Sometimes it's as simple as not walking away from it, regardless of how difficult it yeah. might, those days might get. Um, it's, um, now there are always extenuating circumstances. So sure. I, I share that with, you know, again, talk with it's, the therapist. Somebody it, it's not to qualify. impose guilt on anybody, all, but just, but it's, it's just a good word. Be there. Of if we're at all able, if, be there. Yes, if you're all able, be there. Yeah. Um, I think for the patient, I would say um, find those that are closest to you that you can truly be open with. You know, sometimes I think we all as humans have sort of circles of, of 
of friendships and acquaintances, some that are closer than others, and some and some in different seasons that we're comfortable showing this vulnerable side to. Sure. And, you know, and, and letting someone see you really sick. I'm not good. I will be the first to say I'm not good at letting people see me really, really sick. Um, and I've realized it's been a very humbling um, point for me to learn. Um, I just naturally like them to see me happy and joyful. Sure. And that's what I, that's my comfort space, as I probably is for most people. But I, I have trouble letting people in into that space sometimes. And um, to the patient, I would say, try, try to let others in at to least help. With, at least with a few. At least with a few so yeah. that you can say, you know, here are the things I really need. Because right. a lot of times, you know, as a patient, you know, folks will say, what can I do or how can I help? And sometimes you don't even have an answer. You don't even know. But those closest to you can see, you know, the places. Um, to the patient, I would say, try to let them in you mm. know, as much as you can and be specific with what you need, you know, if, if you're able. And to those closest around, Start by just being there. Just be there as much as possible, but also get support for you. You know, I think um, it's my friend Alex Peavy is so wonderful and no. has been a longtime so friend. Special. So he special. And he and Sarah just... both. The greatest, yeah. And long before he was ever diagnosed with cancer himself, he and I, you know, he and Sarah and I have been friends and colleagues at Collegiate for a long time. And he would talk about the oxygen mask, you know, needing to put the oxygen mask on yourself, you know, in, in flight in case of emergency before putting it on anyone else so that you can. And I think that's a, an important piece for those around you, too, is knowing you have to take care of yourself. Um, seek out counseling. I'm a huge, huge proponent of mental health support. Um, you know, I've talked about my own journey, um, and it always amazes me in the clinical environment how sort of siloed a lot of our services are. Yeah. And that's not a criticism. It's sort of a function of the system in a lot of ways and specialties, et cetera. But that means sometimes things fall through the cracks. You know, our mind, our emotions inhabit the very same body, in this case, that my cancer does, um, but doesn't always get treated the same way in those clinical right. environments. So please Please seek that out. It's been a huge well, place and, for me. And and I can say that that need for for caring for yourself and putting the oxygen mask on first also is a tremendous need for those who are in the closest caregiving. Yes. Uh, because huge. they are pouring themselves out directly for someone that they love and it takes a tremendous toll. Yes. And so they also have to find those ways of and those people that they can lean on because they don't want to fall apart in front of the no. person that they're trying to care for no. but it's it's hurting them so we we all need that small circle of people yes. that we can be transparent and yes. honest with and those particular mechanisms by which we can care for ourselves and allow other people to care for us, both for the patient, absolutely, and for those closest caregivers. And then at the end of the day, everything you said just truly resonated with it. And the word that followed that in my mind as you were talking was grace. And yeah. then giving ourselves grace yes. when we don't always get it right, yes. whether you're the patient or the caregiver, because there's fatigue that comes into these spaces, long-suffering, um, really, really difficult, you know, bouts of depression and other things going on in this space. Um, one of the things that my um, 
therapist said to me one time was um, exercising self-compassion. She said, you know, I was being really hard on myself about something, but didn't really see it as that. Um, And she said, now, if this were someone else going through this, what would you say to them? And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'd be so worried. I'd be like, don't worry, you know, don't worry about that. Like, right. Worry about, like, like please, yeah. please yeah. take that off the table, you know. And, and I had to turn around and say that to myself, which is, you know, offer ourselves a bit of grace and self-compassion. And, um, and, and I, I asked myself the question in a therapy session one time that my therapist directed at me, you know, what is self-compassion? What is self-love? You know, and some of these concepts that come up in mental health these days. And the answer that I really came to in that space was withholding judgment. So, you know, giving yourself the freedom in, in this space to just be, to do your best. If, if showing up is the best you can do on that day or all you can do on that day, um, that's okay. Yeah. Showing that grace. If being a caregiver is realizing that you're exhausted and your needs aren't being met at that point and you're also breaking down, having the grace to say that's okay too and it's okay to take a minute to recoup. And that's that's a word that every single one of us need, whether we're dealing with cancer, whether we know anybody that's dealing with cancer. We're, we're in a culture that just is... We're just so wired to beat others up, but maybe even worse to beat ourselves yes. up. And it just doesn't do any good. So this this what you've learned through the gauntlet yes. is something that's so critical for for every one of us in in order to live um and exist, survive. Yeah. Grace. So uh, that's that's just that's so great. Well, I want to, I guess, kind of close our time with, I guess, an observation, and and perhaps you can uh, share your thoughts on it. Is the the power that I see in you, and the strength and the courage that comes with having a purpose that's behind these incredibly difficult things. And I'm so aware in my life, but I'm also aware as I view other people, the power and the strength and the courage that comes uh, with purpose, with a reason for being, uh, a reason that matters for being. And you're in one of the most unimaginably difficult situations. And yet, still, it seems to me that purpose is transforming even now the hardest. Am I right with that? 100%. I, I was really just thinking as you asked me that, that night on the bathroom floor when I was feeling so hopeless and I prayed that God would give me hope. He gave, he helped me find my fight, something to live for, something, because that's what I was struggling with. And what do I have to live for? You know, these dreams that I had held seemed so far out of reach, and I felt so unvaluable in that moment. And not that it's true, but that's how I felt in that moment. Um, And I prayed for hope, and I prayed for purpose, and he helped me find my fight and this shared purpose and this beautiful community that's so much 
bigger and more resilient with all these colors and depth and 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 spirit that I had not seen, had the chance to see before in this way that is cancer retreat centers. And that is my hope and prayer is that, you know, what he is the purpose he has called me to at this point, which is, you know, following him and building this space for this home for all that we're all hungry for. And this 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 shared community is that in it we can all find, at least in a small way, a sense of purpose. Yes. So whether it's, you know, artists like Wheezy um, helping us provide art therapy, you know, a space or gardeners helping with horti- you know, horticultural therapy, or those with, you know, anything from skills, abilities, leading our walking groups, our tennis groups, you name it. Um, finding community and a shared purpose by virtue of helping others find courage mm-hmm. and purpose um, hard-earned from our own experiences um, is what my therapist would call transformational growth. That and is. that's mm-hmm. that phase after grief, you know, on the, the very last part of grief where we um, you know, assimilate back into society and among, you know, the larger community with a sense of purpose and and that growth from what we've l- lost and grieved and learned from. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the transformation that's happening right now. Well, this is this is absolutely wonderful. Well, I, we will put all of the contact places in the show notes, but apart from that, what what are the easiest ways for people to connect with you and with cancer retreat centers yes. uh, to just inquire more, get information, or or offer whatever they might offer? Absolutely. Well, please, I welcome you to. Um, Learn more at cancerretreatcenters.org. Dot org. You can sign up to participate in any of our programs. They're all free of charge um, under our events page on our website. You can email me um, if you'd like to talk with me more. If you're a survivor, you're looking for community, want more information, or just someone to uh, good company for the journey. It's Harris at cancerretreatcenters.org. And um, and then find us on Instagram and Facebook, also at Cancer Retreat Centers, or me at Positively Pink 2012. Positively Pink. It's named for my <laughs> I love students. It. My students, the year in 2012, when I was diagnosed the first time, um, they raised funds. They raised over $10,000 for breast cancer research, uh-huh. and they created an effort called Positively Pink, the Harris Project. And so I actually named my Instagram account in their honor because they carried me through. Again, God always brings brings what we need, mm. even even in the darkest spaces. Just well, when we need it. Thank you so much, Kristen. I thank love you. you and I love you. Continue guys to so pray much. for you, thank you. and uh, just am overjoyed to hear the great things that God's doing in all of in our you, lives, in our lives, but. <laughs> through you. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh